0: From High Atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Emily Arnson. This is your news for Friday, April 21st. Grand County Commissioners are considering whether to hand off management of the Moab to Monument Valley Film Commission to a nonprofit. At the county meeting this week, commissioners discussed the pros and cons of partnering with the Red Cliffs Foundation. The nonprofit was created this winter and is associated with the Moab Museum of Film and Western History. Grand County Film Commissioner Biga Metzner.
1: The the Film Commission and and what it does wouldn't change. It's just who would be um, supporting it and funding it and would have a broader base of funding sources in a way than just Grand County, potentially allowing for more diverse and stable financial support for the Film Commission. You know, and it, it still brings the same economic impact to the community to Grand County.
0: Right now, funding for the Film Commission comes from the transient room taxes collected in Grand County, and the current budget is $150,000 per year. At the meeting, commissioners discussed the possibility of splitting the budget with Red Cliffs Foundation if they decide to partner. Metzner says the Film Commission would be able to bring in the same, if not more, revenue to the community if they collaborate with Redcliffs.
1: Any film production that stays in a hotel here which when they do they're mostly staying in hotels that's trt that's coming directly back to the county so it wouldn't change the impact that it has in the economy it wouldn't change the impact of what the film commission does you know trying to get these productions to hire locals when they come here because there are incredibly highly qualified individuals who live here who can work in the film industry mm-hmm. and want to.
0: But some commissioners expressed concerns that the Red Cliffs Lodge, the hotel adjacent to the new foundation, might use the film commission for profit. Brian Hunting's is the general manager of the lodge.
1: There's a lot of speculation that like, Red Cliffs is like trying to puppet this. That's not the case at all. It can be whatever all the public decides to be. So I, just the foundation is just trying to do good in general and help drive economic diversity.
0: The foundation's goal is to support local artists with resources and scholarships. They plan to offer film equipment to locals and people in the film industry who are working on local productions. The foundation is also planning to build a new multi-million dollar theater where they'll screen local movies and host events.
1: The foundation... We'll have a network of sorts and the Film Commission does and will just help promote and market the area to potential potential film production companies further And, and maybe help attract higher profile productions. You know, all things that the Film Commission is already trying to do and does do, but, you know, it feels to an extent that it's at capacity in a way. The
0: Moab to Monument Valley Film Commission is coming up on a big milestone next year with its 75th anniversary.
1: It is the longest ongoing film commission in the world. The county wouldn't lose that.
0: The state is still working on an audit of Kevin Costner's Horizon to estimate how much money the production made for the county last year. The Utah Film Commission originally estimated that spending would be close to $45 million. Costner is expected to return to Grand County this summer to start filming the next movie in the Horizon series. Dates aren't definite yet, but Metzner is optimistic about having even more community involvement with this round of production. Utah has already spent the $5 million in state money set aside for flood mitigation. But Governor Spencer Cox says Utah has plenty of funds in reserve. Sean Higgins, with our partners at KUER, has more.
2: Speaking to reporters, Cox said people laughed at him when he asked for flood money in last year's budget. Back then, the state was still experiencing a record-setting drought. But even though the money has already been spent, the state's emergency funds are capable of picking up the slack. We don't get to play hindsight with these things. We just move forward, and we do have plenty of money in reserves. Um, the, the, you know, Those rainy day funds aren't just for economic downturns. They're also for major emergencies. Cox added that the state's reservoirs will play a key role in controlling floodwater. As the state's record-setting snowpack melts, water will rise, so local water managers have been preemptively releasing water downstream. Salt Lake County Emergency Management Director Clint Meekum says they started planning water releases months ago.
1: As early as late February, uh, we were having meetings uh, involving city emergency management, county emergency management, flood control, and public utilities about when was the proper time to maybe start doing some releases.
2: Meekum says runoff season typically lasts until late June, but with all the snow yet to melt, this year could run through July or later.
0: That was John Higgins for KUER. Several Republican legislators in Colorado have introduced bills that would prohibit drag queen storytelling events that have become popular at some public libraries. Colorado Congress member Lauren Boebert has often used inflammatory and threatening language regarding drag queens and tweeted last August, quote, sending a message to all drag queens out there, stay away from the children in Colorado's third district, end quote. The Bluebird Cafe in Glenwood Springs, which is in Bobert's district, ignored that message and recently held its first drag queen story hour. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio and KDNK, Haddison Rensberry reports.
3: It is crisp spring morning at a downtown coffee shop, and the cafe is closed for a private event. People are here for Drag Queen Story Hour, an activity where performers read picture books to young children similar to those held at libraries. This version of the free event is aimed at providing an accepting space for kids to hear queer inclusive and bilingual literature. Ramona Chingona is a founding member of the Roaring Divas, a vibrant group of drag performers based in the Roaring Fork Valley. She describes the experience as magical, and when I ask her about what makes Drag Queen times unique, she has this to say.
1: We're coming into the space as a character, as, you know, what society sort of tells us that we're not allowed to be. And so when we walk
4: into the space full of kids, looking at spirits and fabulous as we do, It helps to encourage them and give them representation and visibility of, you know, if they can do that, then what am I capable of? and, And kind of being able to chase their dreams.
3: The Rocky Mountain branch of queer activist group Gay For Good donated 50 books that are examples of queer affirming and bilingual literature to the event that the families could take home for free, and many kids left with stacks of books for all ages. Several titles included were And Tango Makes Three by Justin Richardson and Peter Parnell, as well as Bye Bye Binary by Eric Guerin. Organizer Caleb Cook spoke about the importance of making events like this equitable for all.
1: I think it's super important as you run an equitable nonprofit to make sure you're ingraining language equity. And so providing literature and resources in both Spanish and English at the same time is incredibly important. And then also for those in-person events, making sure that we're providing American Sign Language translations as well.
3: One attendee, a six-year-old boy named Gus, plays separately from the story time with a pride flag in his hair. His fashion choice has inspired the cafe staff to wear theirs similarly. He's taken the opportunity of a wide-open coffee shop to play some of his own games with a friend.
1: I know it's their first time, and it's also my first time, but it was kind of boring for me, so I decided to come over to to my dad. Now I'm playing that game with my friend Eli. But before I even started playing that game, I was um,
4: reading my bird guide book.
3: Gus's dad watches on and weighs in on the importance of bringing his children to experiences like this. His wife holds their three-year-old while sitting across the room listening intently to the story
2: time. What I love about this environment is just that there's an amount of love and literally colors and, and just acceptance and support in the air. I am a third generation uh, Chicano, Mexican-American, and my, I was not taught Spanish growing up. <laughs> Bringing my children to a space where bilingualism and Spanish specifically is, is welcome and celebrated is something that's very important to me.
3: I then asked eight-year-old Lucy who her favorite drag queen was.
5: I like the one in the dark purple dress.
3: Lucy also mentioned that she's learning a little bit of Spanish in school, but hasn't quite gotten to the level of recognizing it during bilingual story times yet. I then asked her mom why they chose this event for their Saturday morning and if they had any friends in attendance. Sometimes this valley can feel really small in terms of the population or who you know and I just feel like
6: it's so important to build queer community and also as a person raising kids just like having kids be aware of all the various resources and also all the ways that they get to be in the world and the fact that this was a really fun environment that there was balloons and crowns and crafts and books and like there's so much joy surrounding it like that. Um, made me want to bring my kids. We had a lot of friends, friends from Rifle, friends from like other places I volunteer, friends from Eagle County. There's actually way more people here that I re- recognized
4: than I thought. Um, we hope they do this again. This is really fun. Eli, did you have fun today?
1: Yeah. It was amazing.
3: When story time concludes, the performers take a break and then roll into an adults-only drag brunch. Some attendees who showed up to support the story time stayed for the brunch, which begins after a lengthy cleanup and all of the kiddos have gone home.
0: Hattison Rensbury reporting from KDNK. That story was shared with us via Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a network of public media stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico, including KZMU. The Grand County Commission was in session this week. So what happened
1: at the
7: meeting? meeting?
0: What happened at the meeting? Whatever happened at the meeting? What What, uh,
7: exactly happened at the meeting?
0: Maggie McGuire, editor of the Moab Sun News, has the answer.
7: At this week's Grand County Commission meeting, the Rally on the Rocks UTV event was turned down for a 2023 special event permit. The event has been contentious for years, and commissioners cited issues with noise and disturbance to the community. Commissioner Mary McGann said she wanted it on the record that Grand County tried to work with rally organizers in previous years but got nowhere. The vote was four to two with commissioners Bill Winfield and Mike McCurdy in opposition. Other votes included a new air provider for Canyonlands Regional Airport that will route flights through Phoenix beginning this summer, approval of grants for a bunch of interesting community events, and a lengthy discussion of the future of the Moab to Monument Valley Film Commission, with staff reporting that they would do more research into options for the 75-year-old institution.
0: And that's what happened at this week's Grand County Commission meeting. Find recaps of local government meetings at moabsunnews.com, or you can watch these meetings at the Grand County Utah YouTube page. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. The lead auditor, tasked with investigating alleged violations of the Open and Public Meetings Act in Grand and San Juan counties, says he never received credible evidence of wrongdoing in Grant County. Sophia Fisher of the Times Independent
6: speaks with Molly Marcello about their coverage. This was a legislative audit that examined compliance issues with the Open and Public Meetings Act in both Grand and San Juan counties. Um, And just as a quick review, Grand County in the end was barely mentioned. The audit was released on April 12th, and Grand County was only mentioned a few times and in ways that it should be emulated. So it wasn't a focus of this audit. And I I did manage to speak with auditing manager Jesse Martinson since you and I last spoke. And he mentioned that um, auditors had never received emails from elected officials the way they had in San Juan County. They had received similar types of allegations from citizens um, alleging, you know, potential violations of the Open and Public Meetings Act. But Martinson said that those allegations were based on public notices and some meeting agendas and some potential relationships Mm. between elected officials and potential like non-governmental organizations. But they never constituted um, kind of evidence that they were able to work off of. So Mm. they started looking into Grand County and just found nothing. Nothing okay. there. No
4: evidence there. Um, So very quickly pivoted to just focus on San Juan County. So in this latest article in the Times Independent, you have some insights from the auditor himself or the auditors mm-hmm. themselves. Um, Any reactions from current county elected officials? Certainly uh, the only county official I spoke with was Commission Chair Jacques Hadler and he, he had some
6: pretty strong words to say. He said the audit, or rather the inclusion of Grand County in the audit was a complete sham. He said he didn't think there was ever any real substance behind it and he said he thought it could have had political motivations and political uses. Um, it was announced less than a week before the November election last year and was also cited by Representative Phil Lyman in um, his creation of a bill that eventually stripped mm. Grand County of its economic diversification program. So at least on the surface, the existence of this audit does seem to have changed Grand County's abilities right now, Mm -hmm. abilities to spend money, even though the audit ended up not talking about Grand whatsoever.
4: Now, even though it doesn't mention Grand, and as you explained, it only mentions Grand as an example to emulate, um, it does have recommendations for San Juan County.
6: Yes, uh, the audit did find Evidence of, of near certain violations of the Open Public Meetings Act by two now former San Juan County Commissioners, Willie Grayeyes and Kenneth Maryboy. Um, the audit could not definitively determine that they broke the act. But it certainly said that their communications and probable actions based on those communications, Mm -hmm. those emails, at least violated the spirit of the Open and Public Meetings Act, which Mm -hmm. is meant to ensure that there is proper public noticing if a quorum of public officials meets to talk Mm -hmm. about public business. And it seems like Gray Eyes and Mary Boy didn't do that for years um, Mm -hmm. in their term. Uh, The audit itself simply. It doesn't actually name any of the actors, and it just makes recommendations for the San Juan County government going forward to make a potential reoccurrence of these actions less likely. You know, so as to whether there will be consequences for Mary Boy and Gray Eyes, it's it's unclear. Um, Although San Juan, the current San Juan County commissioners did say in their official response to the audit that they thought the law had absolutely been violated or I think truly was their word and recommended that charges should potentially be filed as such.
4: Thank you so much for the coverage, Sophia. Um, Where do you want to take us next in the Times Independent? Sure. Another uh, big political story this week, uh, Rally on the Rocks. It's an off-highway vehicle event that took
6: place in Moab from 2010 to 2019. And the Grand County Commission just likely nixed its ability to hold another event um, this year. It would have been... Uh, In the second week of November with about 300 registered vehicles and the Grand County Commission essentially sent a red light uh, so to speak, by sort of denying or rejecting the initial application for that off-highway vehicle event.
4: So the county, you know, for those who are not delving into um, special events permitting procedures, which you know I'm sure some listeners out there aren't <laughs> as enthusiastic about that as others, um, the county did change the way that it wants to approve or disapprove certain events, and one of those ways that it's doing so is giving like an initial green light or initial red light. Yeah,
6: the big issue is that um, before this Grand County Commissioners when they saw events and they wouldn't you know get the ability to to deny or accept every event but it was those deemed high impact but they ended up coming before the County Commission literally days before they were going to happen you know after Mm -hmm. thousands of dollars had been spent securing a venue and folks were probably on route to Moab to attend the event if not already here so it obviously put the Commission in a pretty tight spot and they felt very pressured not to reject any event at that Mm -hmm. stage I mean that would be a huge huge loss Um, so they have changed uh, the way they look at special events so they now look at them in quarterly batches. So I think the rally on the rocks, the batch that it was a part of, was October, November, December. Mm. Mm -hmm. events this year. They look at all of them at once, at least several months prior to when they're supposed to happen, and can, you know, not only uh, reject events early on before they've started most of their planning, but they can also get a more holistic view of how busy Grand County is and how many events are colliding on one weekend.
4: Okay, so this initial, you know, red light, as you said, to rally on the rocks um, this fall, any reasoning behind it? Yes, and I should say, um, not every commissioner
6: voted against it. Uh, The vote was 4-2 to reject, Mm -hmm. Um, so four, were in favor of rejection, and then two in opposition. And those opposed to rejection were commissioners uh, Bill Winfield and Mike McCurdy, and then commissioners Trisha Dean, Kevin Walker, Mary McGann, and Jacques Hadler uh, did vote to reject. Um, the reasons that several of those commissioners gave uh, were, you know, mainly the, the noise of OHVs on residential streets. They didn't, you know, of course, they're going to be off highway vehicles, whether or not this event happens. But this event would introduce more to the community, especially in big batches. So. That was the big issue, Uh, but Mary McGann also said that it had been really hard to try to collaborate and coordinate with the organizers of this event Mm. back in kind of 2020 and 2021 Mm -hmm. um, when they were working through the pandemic, and um, I should say that the event only received conditional approval in 2020 after there was outcry over impacts from the 2019 events, such as mm-hmm. noise and late night loud driving and all of that stuff. So uh, McGann also said that it was because the organizers were hard to work with. That's one reason she gave.
4: I mean, Well, more on this issue is in the Times Independent this week. Um, Sophia, there's more in the paper that I know we want to get to. Um, there's some big news at USU Moab. Yes, Eliana Etchberger
6: is going to be retiring from Utah State University Moab June 30th. Um, She's uh, been a leader um, of USU Moab for years. She's spent nearly 30 years in academia um, overall, and I think everybody's going to be pretty sad to see her go. She's been a really, a really big figure recently, especially as USU uh, moved to its new location on Aggie Boulevard.
4: So does she have plans to retire, retire? Or wh- what's she doing next? I think she's moving down to Tucson, Arizona <laughs> okay.
6: getting some sunshine, yeah.
4: Okay, wonderful. And Liana, you know, she as reported in the Times Independent has you know served um, in this role since 2017. Did she have anything to say about her time in the Moab community. Yeah, she said she loves the town. And um, in an interview,
6: she said she was starting to get emotional and said that she's she's like, I'm a crier. I cried at the ribbon cutting. I cried at graduation. So Doug said, you know, when, when she finally leaves at the end of this year, it probably won't be without shedding a tear.
4: Okay. And um, has USU named a replacement? <laughs> yes. Uh,
6: Christian Olson, who is the associate vice president for USU Blanding, um, has been promoted to senior vice president and uh, will be leading both Blanding and Moab. Um, and at the same time, Samantha Campbell, who is a Moab low has been promoted to associate campus director and she was already the director of students. So that's really cool too to see a, a local kind of helming helming the campus
4: here. And finally, Sophia, I'm hoping you can mention a series that is concluding this week in the Times Independent. It's called 90 Days In. Can you tell us about this? Yes, this was a little mini-series uh, that Doug McMurdo and I launched just a few weeks ago checking in with
6: uh, the newly elected of Grand County. So as folks know, there were four new officials elected last November. Uh, that's County... Uh, attorney Stephen Stocks, uh, two county commissioners, Mike McCurdy and Bill Winfield, and then uh, Grand County Sheriff Jamison Wiggins. Um, and we have been running profiles on each one of those officials over the last few weeks, just checking in about how it's going, You know what's been challenging, what's been surprising, what's been really exciting for mm-hmm. them and how they're adjusting to um, life as an elected leader in the community. So we wrap up this week. Um, I interviewed Mike McCurdy about uh, adjusting to the learning curve and, and what he's trying to do on the county commission, which uh, actually relates to special events, uh, quite a bit of it. So I highly recommend you uh, check out these stories.
0: Sophia Fisher, reporter at the Times Independent. Subscription information and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. The public has not been able to access the wetlands preserve off of Cane Creek Boulevard since August. That's because last year's record setting flood destroyed critical infrastructure within it. Allison Harford of the Moab Sun News speaks with Molly Marcello about the story.
5: The biggest damage right now is to the big bridge that goes over Mill Creek in the area. Um, So I talked to Linda Whitman, who uh, is the nature conservancy's central Canyonlands manager and the nature conservancy runs the preserve. And so she said in the best case scenario with all of the damage that they're trying to assess and fix, the preserve could fully
4: open to the public in fall 2024. Wow. Okay, that is a long time. So August 2022 to best case scenario, 2024. Right. It it may be closed. Yeah. Yeah, so the bridge
5: is a huge issue. Um, The bridge itself isn't fully damaged, but it doesn't fit the original footprint anymore. Mm -hmm. So if you go down and kind of peer past the road closed gate, you can see that it's very precariously perched on the stream banks. Mm -hmm. And so Whitman, um, Linda Whitman, the manager, said that they hired an engineering firm who has been working with them since November to figure out the options for getting up and running again. And the engineering firm presented them with a couple options. But the one that they're going with is that they're going to have to do a lot of stream bank stabilization work. And they're also going to have to make a new bridge that will be taller and longer. So I asked them about what kind of flood intensity they're preparing for, because this was something that the city was grappling with in August 22, which is, you know, this was ranked like a 100 year flood, except Climate scientists have been saying that it's hard to gauge floods by Mm. those numbers anymore because, you know, what was once a 100-year flood is maybe not what we would call that now. Mm. And so it's this big question of what kind of flood do you prepare for? So Linda said they're trying to prepare for the worst. And Mm. she said they don't have a crystal ball. But one of the reasons that this project to get it up and running again is going to be so costly and take so much time is that Um, The Nature Conservancy thought if they're going to rebuild,
4: then they have to do it right and make it safe. Mm, Okay. So the Nature Conservancy, you know, beyond the flood, I know that they have closed... The gates intermittently, um, because of human impacts mm-hmm. too. Yeah, in April twenty twenty
5: one was a really recent fire that consumed a bird watching structure and damaged the boardwalk. Mm-hmm. Um, and that structure lost in twenty twenty one has still yet to be replaced because, in the midst of trying to figure out a better place for it and also good materials to use that mm-hmm. wouldn't be consumed as fire, but that easily, um, then the flood happened. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, we kind of talked about how this flood damage has also sparked this thinking of, you know, there are a couple other projects that they're doing. And so they're trying Mm -hmm. to just get it all done in one. Hopefully the structure will go back up. And then there are also a couple trees that are threatening to tip over because Mm -hmm. of fire damage. And when we get strong winds, those trees do tip over. And so really this is kind of a big, like, yes, it's reopening after the flood damage, but also kind of fixing all of these other little projects and issues with the wetlands.
4: Anything else to say about the status of our wetlands right now?
5: Yeah, so the ecosystem is actually doing totally fine um, because, you know, wetland ecosystems are meant to flood. And so this flood was good for um, the birds and the fish and the amphibians Mm -hmm. that live there. Just not as great for the humans that want
4: to go tour around. Well, thank you so much Allie for that coverage in the Moms and News. And where do you want to take us next? Next, let's go to the Grand County Weed Department. So as
5: spring is making things bloom, noxious weeds are coming back too. And so the department's director, Elizabeth or Izzy Weimholt, said that she really wants people to be on the lookout for noxious weeds. All right. So what are top of Izzy's list? Yes. Top of the list is puncture vine, what we call the goat head, which um, if you haven't interacted with before, you're very lucky. (laughs) It's this awful, sharp, spiked seed pod that... (laughs) can um, puncture bike tires and so year after year the weed department focuses on trying to control puncture vine in public parks and sidewalks and trailheads mm-hmm. um, and so they do have the resources sometimes to go into someone's property and remove bigger weeds like ravena grass or giant reed but puncture vine is small and so mm-hmm. um Izzy's been asking people to look out for that and a couple times in the past the department has even had what they would call like a goat head gala where you can collect goat heads and and bring those in. So mm-hmm. be on the lookout for events like that. Yeah, the department's also looking out for tall grasses that were used as decorative and ornamental residential plants in the past, but now they're recognized by the state as non-native invasive species that crowd out native plants. Um, so that is on the list. And mm-hmm. also Ravenna grass gets into the waterways. So they've been finding it in canyons with perennial water, like Grand Staff and Hunter Canyon. Mm. So very important to stop that spread. And if people want, if people find those in their yards and want to replace them with A native plant then the Grand County Weed Department can help you out with that and provide a voucher for native plants.
4: So the Grand County Weed Department is doing this education outreach you know they can do a lot in public spaces but they need um, you know private homeowners and residences to meet them halfway it sounds like. Yes
5: yeah and um, Izzy said you know she thinks of herself as like a plant detective rather (laughs) than a weed cop and so (laughs) you're not gonna get penalized the department isn't focusing on penalizing residents. They're more focusing on trying to help residents identify and remove these unwanted plants. The number one priority is this plant called African Rue, which is new to the state and Grand County has the only known infestation in Utah. What? So it's the highest class for noxious weeds. So is yes that people do look that up and familiarize themselves with it so that they can get rid of it.
4: Now, I know that radio, I mean, we call it a visual medium because you're creating pictures in your head. But, you know, do you have any description of African Rue? Yes, it's a little
5: bit hard to describe, but it's kind of succulent-like. It has those leaves that feel like a succulent um, and it grows in like a stem and it has this white flower.
4: Mm, I feel like I've seen that. Yeah, Green County has the only infestation known infestation in the state. Yes, wow. and I mean, Green County is a tough place
5: to be the weed department director because this area has mountains and the book cliffs and also riparian areas and lakes and deserts right. and canyons. Um, and so there are a lot
4: of little plants that can grow everywhere in the far corners of the county. Wow. And there's one more piece in the Moab Send News that I'm hoping you can highlight. It's an upcoming event.
5: Yes. So one of the area's longest running annual events is the April Action Car Show. And this year will mark the 29th annual show.
4: Okay. So I know they took a little pandemic break as most events did, um, Mm -hmm. but they were back last year. Yes. And again this year. (laughs) Right. So this year, the event will run from 8 to 4
5: p.m. on April 29th in Swanee Park. Um, New this year is a Food Vendors are back, which um, I talked to Dave Beerside, who's the president of the Moab Rotary Club, which organizes the event. He said, people are really excited about the return of food, (laughs) (laughs) so that'll be super great. So this year they're expecting around 400 cars. And you know, this is one of the top shows in the region. Like everyone is always saying how enjoyable it is and how fun it is both to show off cars and also to go. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you wanna register your car, you can do it day of or um, online. But perusing the cars and walking around the event is free, and usually it draws thousands of spectators. So there are 13 entry award classes, including Best of Show, Best Ford Mustang, Best Chevrolet Camaro, um, Best Rat Rod, which I recently learned is a custom car with a deliberately unfinished and rusty appearance. Oh, okay. um, so attendees can expect to see modified and stock cars and motorcycles dating back to 1900.
4: Anything else to mention about this long-standing event? Yeah. It's also
5: partnering with the Utah State Highway Patrol this year. Um, So the patrol will come out and have some safety equipment and cars on display.
0: Allison Harford, reporter at the Moab Sun News. Subscription information and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. And that's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories from the Moab area. You can find the pieces that were mentioned in today's show in the show notes on our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News Podcast. As always, thanks for tuning in and supporting your community-powered radio, KZMU.